What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense from that Giants game. It is not going to be a pleasant conversation. So wanted to bring in a good friend of ours, Jason Smith from Huddle It Up Films. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Hanging in there. Sunday could have been better, but already looking forward to next week and the rest of the season, trying to take the positives and the negatives and just weigh it all and enjoy football season, Ken. Yeah, it's a good good way. I mean, we, we, we get wrapped up in our work here, and, and I think sometimes it's maybe cathartic. I know for me, looking at these games a couple more times is cathartic. I was mad at the world when I left the left uh, Giant Stadium, where the MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands, uh, and it didn't really get better on the with some weights for the train and whatnot. I just, you know, the fewer people I ran into, the fewer people I inflicted myself upon. Let's put it that way. After a game like that, but uh, but after watching it a couple times, uh, you know, with Maureen both times, I thought it 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 was there were a lot of positives really to pull from this game. I agree. I agree. I'll be looking forward to, to sprinkling those in throughout the show, but there are definitely a few that I'm looking at. And when I'm looking at the stats and I do just raw stats every week on my show, you know, the numbers are, are trending upward aside from the passing offense, uh, defensively running back production, all of that stuff is trending upwards against some pretty good defenses this year. When you take a look at the the teams that we face. So uh, positive and negative, Ken. We'll, we'll get into all that in a minute. First of all, I need to say thank you to our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that murders your thirst. Anyway, listen to their ads. Please give their product a try. Uh, other folks, uh, other things we need to talk about. 
the acquisition of Deshaun Watson is on everybody's mind today. Uh, certainly uh, a solution to the issue. The Ravens don't, don't have a lot of options in terms of types of solutions they can take that cost more than uh, pocket change at this point. They've got uh, vet minimum type money, and they don't even have that in unlimited quantities. Uh, we did a little show with with uh, Dan Reese before the season. They seem to have about five units of full season money to spend, which you know you would think would automatically be enough, but you know they're already way deep into the injury pool right now. And the deeper you get, the earlier, the more you have to spend that money for a full season. So the Ravens are already trying to play the game of not having a full roster complement for every week. And uh, and that's a that is a dangerous place to be in terms of uh, uh, of maintaining any kind of depth on your team. We did that last year, if I'm not mistaken, Ken, coming on talking with you. Um, yes, it, it gets it gets even more complicated when you you know just take the negotiations into consideration as well, as far as where the teams are in their standings, what their view for the future is, who they're willing to give up in the first place before you even count for the salary and everything. So. Who knows? I mean, I'm not a salary cap expert and I don't know what, you know, obviously none of us know what the other teams are thinking or the Ravens, but, um, you know, Deshaun Jackson would not have been my first choice, you know, from a layman's perspective. I'm just hoping, Ken, my talking point on this is if he still has the speed and uh, you may know I had the the saying in my scouting that alpha skills linger longer. Fast guys stay fast longer. Um, contested catch guys can still do that well into their 30s. If Deshaun Jackson still has is still a speedy receiver by NFL standards, he can help this offense, even if he's just clearing out space and getting a handful of targets per game. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, in fact, less is more for Deshaun Jackson. If he's taking the top off the defense, or maybe even if he's not taking the top off the defense, but he's drawing coverage from a safety, I think that will really potentially help this offense do some things over the middle of the field, get better targets for for Andrews uh, in particular. But the one statistic I was very surprised by was that Deshaun Jackson last year at age 34, minimal number of targets, but he averaged 13.4 yards per target last year. And he played for two teams, uh, but it wasn't a minimal number of games. He played 16 games, 34 targets is, is, is low, but 20 of those were catches, decent catch percentage up there with even a little bit higher than his career. No, a little bit lower than his career. No, nope, a little bit higher. 56.1 career, 58.8 last year, um, but 13.4 yards per target. And just to frame that up, um, the highest single season ever for the Baltimore Ravens is 11.0 by Mark Andrews in his rookie year. So this is substantially more than that, obviously. And even if you look at the last five years combined, sorry, the last four years combined, 2018 through 21, he's at 11.3 yards per target. So from ages 30, you know, 32 to 35, effectively, uh, he's already been a more dangerous deep threat in a limited use role during that point. It's 144 targets over those four years, though. That is not a trivial amount. That's one season if you're Mark Andrews. That's two seasons if you're any other normal kind of receiver. Uh, and that's a, that's a very high yards per target number. So of all the, while I'm not really crazy about the Deshaun Jackson uh, acquisition, I think there's a good chance it ends in injury at some point this year, given he's coming off cold off the bench. I am. I'm. That is the element that I'm excited about. In addition to what you mentioned about, you know, him potentially taking two defenders on some plays. Exactly, and a lot of Lamar's success, arguably his his best, what he's best at throwing, are those deep over routes, those deep crossers, those deep digs. And if you get a guy like Deshaun Jackson, who not only is a decoy, teams have to respect his ability to track the ball and his past product, his past production. Uh, it could help to open up things for other receivers. But yes, I mean, if you take the, those numbers for last year, maybe take a little bit off the top just to bring it, you know, be conservative with it. If he could give us anything close to what he did last year, it will help, I believe, uh, open things up for others. And and he's known for the big play, Ken. So it, it could be an 80-yard touchdown one particular game, or if he gets two, two, tu- two plays like that, a 50-yard touchdown one week and a 70-yard touchdown a few weeks later, that that's the kind of thing that can win you a game. So it's, it's a very, uh, you know, it's a role that could be important. He can make an impact 
on this team, but um, I'm trying to just temper my expectations because of the age and injuries. And I know people wanted more uh, out of the free uh, free age or acquisition for receiver, but um, there, there are some things that I believe he can do. And, you know, if I had to guess, I would say he's still fast, you know, and of course he can track the ball and knows how to set up his routes. Well, yeah, and I think the setting up his routes will, will be a key thing is what has he got left in terms of wiggle at the top of the route? Uh, you know, what's he what's he going to be able to show a defensive back and and uh, get loose on? Does he still have a good stop and go uh, move? Uh, what does what does he have as a secondary route that is shorter but still throws fear into a defender? Because I don't think a comeback route is going to is going to have that much fear for for a the the cornerback opposite him i think it's it, mostly it's going to be you know a, a sluggo an out and go and then potentially he's got to break something off to the inside i would think a, a crosser of medium length but between level two and three that is going to that is going to create value for the ravens here uh and and you know if you think about it you know a corner who gets half a step behind and frankly we've seen this a lot from the raven slot corners recently uh, is of no almost no value at all on a on a crossing route. You need less separation on that crosser than you do on a on a deep ball. So uh, just a uh, you know I, I'm I I'm not that high on it, but there just weren't a lot of things they could do with the with the amount of money they had. And you mentioned it's a roll it's a roll for Deshaun Jackson R O L E. It's a roll R O L L for the Ravens in terms of taking some kind of a some kind of a shot on on what they have to try and. Uh, mitigate some of the issues they have in the passing game. Agree that, but really don't have much more to more else to add to this. Just because it's a it's a wait and see thing for me. He's not a player that I've studied, but I mean, of course, we all know his skill set well. So we'll see how it plays out. Maybe my, I guess the other thought I have is instead of using Duvernay as that clear out guy, maybe you can use Deshaun Jackson, and it opens up Duvernay for other routes because we've seen the Ravens. Uh, like to run speed receivers up the seam and uh, and clear out those crossing routes. So so maybe you know he gets a, a few few snaps in the slot instead of you know packing the slot with Andrews and likely and uh, like a guy like Prochet who is more of a short to intermediate maybe guy. You get some speed in the slot and you allow Duvernay to line up outside and uh, and, and run some slants and some things that Devin can handle. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, the the game before, not this, not the game against the Giants, but the one against the Bengals, Duvernay was the whole offense in terms of being all over the field. He was in the backfield. He was uh, jet motion, and maybe they want him back more in that role. Obviously, Duvernay very limited in this last game against Giants with one catch and five targets. It's the first time he's he's uh, really come back to earth this year in terms of a production on a per target basis. But uh, you know, maybe they want him more. Be able to run the ball with him when you need him. Have that speed threat that that, that stretches the line of scrimmage horizontally, gives Lamar good opportunities. You know, creates now good opportunities for Drake and a running game that seems to have some juice now with the offensive line back in pretty good shape. Uh, and and see if he can uh, energize uh, in other ways the offense other than just being a deep threat. Yes, and you know what I would say that that would be a great move. That's kind of where I was going with my point, Ken. Is the you know especially with Bateman out then you're going to have to rely on Duvernay to get more touches. So it, it, it kind of, you know, it kind of forces you to use Duvernay as a, a pure wide receiver instead of a guy that you can manufacture touches in a creative way and really use him to his strengths. So, you know, um, I, I think that he'll help. He'll definitely help with Rashad out, and uh, he could still be a help when Bateman gets back. So the Ravens injury front, uh, Rashad Bateman is still not back, but he also is still not on IR, which is, I think, generally speaking, good news. Now, I don't, I can't tell you what the Ravens um, approach is, but they obviously have extra roster spots right now, and they may be thinking if if Rashad can come back, we don't want to put him on IR when we might get him back two weeks earlier or one week earlier, even, and that may have been the thinking originally with regard to this. I don't know how many games he's going to end up missing. You know, they keep saying he's close. We're close on a lot of guys, yada, yada. There are now four guys back in the pipeline. Uh, so Kolar uh, will start practicing tomorrow, we're told. Uh, that uh, Edward, uh, sorry, uh, Bowser and Ajabo started practicing last week. So they've got two weeks left of their quote-unquote free practice time. And Edwards will enter his last week in the practice window. So he's got to be activated to the roster after this week. And I think the, the, the notion is that Edwards is probably just about ready to go. So he, he should be back, I would think, for the game on Sunday. 
Um, and that, but very excited with the possibility that Bowser and Ajabo could be back because right now, aside from slot corner, which is just a mess right now, getting those two outside linebackers back would just be huge for this team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the Ravens, you know, are, are not hurting in the sack department, but the four man rush has come and gone, has come and gone. It looked great to me in week one. And then there were other weeks where we weren't getting the pressure, uh, just having Bowser, though, um, you know, back in the in the in the defense, instead of guys like Malik Harrison on the outside, who, by the way, I think Malik played really well, yep. did a cut cut up of him on my channel, as a matter of fact, Ken, to plug that huddle it up films. But, um, you know, having Bowser is a different type of player on that edge. There's no tell. He can rush. He can drop. He You know, he can do anything. You can cover a man on man on a tight end or a back even he's got that uh, just so much flexibility a player that really developed well, steady pace. I think uh, if you want to look at it from most rookies and it's just a weapon on the team, uh, you know, somebody we paid for too, we need every asset we can get. So extremely excited about Bowser. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Tyus before I touched on the other two guys? I mean, the, the big thing about Tyus is kind of like the big thing with having a good slot corner. Is it a, a big, you have a good slot corner. The big thing it gives you on the Ravens is Humphrey gets to play outside. Owe getting to play back at the rush spot again for the bulk of his snaps. And I don't have any doubt. I, I I would predict, I guess, I wouldn't say I don't have any doubt that Owe will still play some Sam uh, snaps when Bowser takes off. But I'm expecting Bowser to not be a 100% snap guy either. Maybe a 60 if, if maybe even build up to 70 kind of thing. Um, but but he'll, he'll play two-thirds of the snap. Something like that would be a reasonable expectation. If you have that, and then OA takes the rest, OA still gets most of his snaps, I think, on the rush side if he plays, say, 80% of the snaps. And I think that's really going to help him. I think he's going to come back and, and be more effective going up against that naked tackle as opposed to having to negotiate traffic between tight ends and whatnot. He'll also have more freedom to stunt to the inside, to use his, his quickness uh, to get around players. We saw how uh, Calais Campbell was able to do that, and the Ravens have some real assets as under players in the middle. Broderick Washington, Calais Campbell, and, uh, and uh, Travis Jones, all guys, I think, who can attract two blocks well, uh, get, them, get their bodies turned, and, and hopefully give a player like uh, – uh, well, both give a player like Owe a chance to slip around them, but also – or Queen, for that matter. But also create an opportunity for themselves as the second block peels off to, to pick somebody up. So I'm really looking forward to how the Ravens' stunt game will improve uh, with Owe back to less coverage responsibilities, less jam responsibilities, you know, less weight responsibilities, more just be a pure pass rusher as I think he is – best served to be at this point in his career. Agreed. And, you know, just to, to flash back, you know, th these were pretty important games at the beginning of the season when you're talking about four AFC games, five AFC mm -hmm. games to start, one in the division. And, um, you know, the the Ravens' backup plans to get them through both fell through. You could have had Stephen Means at a rush end. You could have Vince Beagle at the Sam, and it would have took a lot of weight off of Way's shoulders. But um, it's not just a way for me, Ken. It's it'll make a way better. But you'll see Calais Campbell be off off the field a little bit more and be more mm -hmm. in advantageous positions. Brett Urban, another guy that it would affect. Malik Harrison is now freed up more. Maybe he's a, a first and second down enforcer. Uh, it just affects. You move him back to Mike. If, if move you him back that. to Mike. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes. I, I got me excited there. <laughs> yeah. You moving back to Mike a little bit, you know, give him a chance if Bynes is, you know, fading out a little bit, but um, JPP, another guy that doesn't have to play mm -hmm. as much. Uh, so it, it's just like having Bowser back is, a, is like a force multiplier to me, even if he's giving you 60% of the snaps, like I, and I agree with you that, that that would be a great number if he came back and started there. It's affecting so many other people across the front. Yeah. I mean, right now they're, they aren't playing much over. They might be playing under. I'd really have to look at it. 2.0 outside linebackers per play, which is unbelievable for the Ravens because they've been up there close to three outside linebackers per play in some past years uh, where they played a lot of rush dime with three outside linebackers as Wink liked to jam one inside, played four on the field in that race car package that you know I was a big fan of, particularly in 2019. Um, but they've, they had, you know, they've always been under Wink, a team that liked to put a lot of outside linebackers on the field who could who could rush the passer at the same time. 
Um, if if you get 0.6 snaps out of two total that you have to play per play back in Bowser, I mean, you you can see right away that's going to completely change your equation, your calculus for for who's going to have to be on the field for for what. They will still be short at Sam linebacker, even when Bowser comes back, because he's not a 100% snap guy, and there really isn't anyone else who's naturally in that fit. So it's going to be OA for some portion of those, I assume, and not it won't be a job of, you know, coming into his first NFL action as anything but a rush. It won't be Houston coming back from injury as anything but a rush, and it won't be Pierre Paul coming back as a Sam, I don't believe. You know, he's done probably a little bit over the years, but, uh, you know, as another guy who really belongs on the rush end. There you go. Well said. So there's not much depth or any depth behind Bowser aside from away, but you don't want to move him around too much. It's still just a big boost for the defense, though, having Bowser himself out of all these guys, really. Yeah, he's he's number one. I agree. Well, the other guy we we didn't talk about as much is Charlie Kolar, who's just starting practicing now. So the earliest he would come back is week nine, I guess. And and I they may be that may be their bye week. So it could be the week after the bye is the first time he would realistically uh come back. And if that's the case, it will set up an interesting decision to be made because the, the team already has too many active tight ends. I think everyone is agreeing with the fact that Boyle has been outsnapped very solidly by Oliver these last four weeks. I think it's nine eighty-nine to nine. I think that's right. Boy, he had a five snap game, a four snap game and two zeros for Boyle. And I believe it's 89 for Oliver in the same period. Uh, yeah, Oliver's playing well enough to have earned that, that last tight end spot. If Charlie Kolar comes back on the active roster, I imagine that's probably the end of, of, um, of Boyle. I, I tend to agree. I, I just think that, um, yeah, my question to you, Ken would be, is anybody else pick up Boyle? Can we put him on our practice squad? Would we want him on our practice squad? Uh, that would be where I would kick it back to you. You'd have two. I think you'd have two options. One would be you could put him on IR and bring him back after four weeks if you had any kind of a problem. And I assume something is going on that he's not playing. Something is not quite right about him. He's being outplayed, but you know there have been off and on injury concerns about things. I'm sure they they would find a a, a way to do it. And I. I hope Boyle would be amenable to that in terms of of uh, getting him onto IR if that were the that were the case, and then the second possibility is you um, leave him on the fifty three because they don't really have the fifty three completely filled up right now. Now you look at the list of people coming back with Edwards, Bowser, Ajabo, Kolar coming back all potentially in the next three weeks, and that will create some roster stress. But roster stress has a way of working itself out with injuries. And unfortunately, you know, the usual way of things is things don't get better. They get worse on the injury front. So even if they, they get through this, there's a good chance they lose a couple other players. You know, maybe they lose an inside linebacker. Maybe they, maybe they decide they can cut an inside linebacker. Uh, but they, they just signed another guy today who basically is a special teams linebacker and looks like another addition of exactly more of what they have at the inside linebacker position. Okay, I missed that one. Who, uh, that, I missed that one, Ken. Yeah, uh, it's it's not Devon Kennard because because they signed him, but it's it's the other guy who they signed. Uh, give me a moment, I'll I'll give it to you. Uh, it's not Charlie Kolar. All right, you've heard us talk about Liquid Death for a few weeks now, but have you started paying attention when you go to your convenience store? Did you notice those strange tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section, or they're in a store that doesn't sell alcohol? but it looks like they've got beer. It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it brutally murders your thirst. It's infinitely recyclable. Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Plus, they donate 10% of the profits to every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. And I don't know, for some reason, it seems like the water's always colder in a can rather than a bottle. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I had fun this weekend where I took a couple tall boys of liquid death to coach a little league. You put those right into the uh, dugout with a bunch of eight-year-olds and you'll get some attention. You got some parents looking. Definitely get some attention. But no, I have to show everyone it's just liquid death. I'm just drinking water in a dugout with a bunch of little league kids. So go get liquid death for yourself. Test it, try it out. You're going to fall in love with it like I do. So go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a Liquid Death retailer near you 
with the store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Probably somebody I I don't know. Probably special teams ace, I'm guessing. Yeah, he he was. He's played 2,000 special team snaps. And he is. Let me see if I can find it in my own tweets because I know I, I I did that. Yeah, he's played two thousand special team team snaps, and he had. Yeah, here he is. Okay, it's Stanford. Um, so it's his seventh stop over the last eleven seasons, and he's played nine hundred and thirty three career defensive snaps. That's per PFF at a mix of OLB and ILB. But he's played two thousand special team snaps. It's Julian Stanford. Okay. Okay. Right. I'm on, hey, we got another one. <laughs> um, maybe Klein's in the doghouse after the uh, after the penalty. Oh, yeah, that could be. That could be because I don't know if you noticed he sat down after that. He he didn't he didn't get back in the game. So and he he was in on defense early, wasn't he? Ken, that's all. Right. Yeah, I thought I saw him on the field when. Yeah. And yes. So um. So yes, and and then uh, you know, I see on the show sheet here, Ken, just a transition. If you would have asked me, uh, what three weeks ago, when if Gus, if all this, you know, the fantasy world we live in, when everybody gets mm-hmm. healthy, who would be the running back that we would let go? I would <laughs> say, I would say, well, we're probably going to let go of Kenyon Drake, and people won't like it. But Mike Davis is such a good pass protector; he seems to have a specific role on this team. But now I'm looking at Kenyon Drake, and I'm, man, the patience and everything else. I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show. Um, you know, have the Ravens ever kept five uh, non non fullback running backs on the team? Like, uh, you know, is this when we finally use up this extra roster spot? Like, how does that work? Because running backs get hurt all the time. Ken, if you put expose either one of those guys to waivers, I imagine uh, they're not going to stay on the practice squad very long. Uh they do get hurt. I I I can't imagine anybody wanting uh, Mike Davis right now. But then I don't know if he'd really even care to come back to the Ravens practice squad. He's paid for the year, so uh, he, he's uh, he might or might not. I I really I, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, Drake, I think is is the more valuable one at this exact moment in time. He's clearly getting the snaps, and he just had a good. Yeah, I, I, it was a very patient game. You know what I was trying to look for is his yards before contact. Um, uh, and I don't, I'm not seeing that here where I expect to see it, but anyway, I'll try and find that during the show before we, before we get down to talking about him and, and, uh, and really, really go that, but a lot of yards, those are some big holes he ran through in this game. Absolutely. And he, you you mentioned patience. I mentioned patience. He just looked like he was in a rhythm, which is what we saw when JK came back, even though he's still working his way back, JK understands the blocking scheme, the timing of it. And it looked like Kenyon Drake got on that got on that page, which was great because we didn't always see that from the uh, from the running backs we had last year. Okay, it looks it looks like uh, according to to PFF anyway, it looks like yards after contact were at, were forty eight in this last game of his one nineteen. That's still seventy one yards on ten carries, seven point one yards before contact. I don't think he was touched on the 30 yard touchdown run. I don't, I don't know if you remember it, but I don't remember him getting touched on that play. Uh, don't remember all the plays to, to, to be honest in terms of exactly where he was first touched or, you know, I don't have a real insight into how PFF might score it as here's a point of contact because somebody laid a finger on him or here's a point of contact because we require this much. But, uh, but it, it was, uh, I think that touchdown run, he wasn't touched at all. So uh, that was a pretty impressive one. That's what I was going to say, Ken. I, I don't remember him breaking some kind of amazing tackle attempt to, you know, to spring a long run. Like if somebody touched him or bumped him, he was in a pretty good position to, you know, he had plenty of space on both sides uh, to to be able to maneuver. So, yeah, you know, sometimes I guess those numbers can be deceiving. But if I if I had to say it, just like you, some huge lanes to run through. He just had to wait and burst. And he ha- he has a little get up in his game, which is nice to see. Yeah, you know, that, that was a nice thing about Drake in this one. We're, we're straining into some things later, but when we're on it, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, I like the burst he had. I really, I, you know, it's something the Ravens have been missing is a speed back uh, to run out of sidecar. And, you know, they had it with Hill and he was exceptional and, and did, you know, really help the run game when he was in there. Uh, you know, they have it when they have Duvernay on the field, when they, when they choose to play him in the backfield. But that, you know, isn't very often, frankly, with what he's contributed as a receiver this year. And then they have it with uh, with Drake now, it appears. And you get a little bit of patience with that. But he, but the, the run I recall 
is the run was about 10, 15 yards to the outside. He ran out of bounds, but it was a, it was a, a hard bounce, maybe twice to the outside where he really outran the defense to all the way to the corner and beyond, which is that's, that's exactly what you need to, to make that defense spread itself horizontally, to make itself move into the wrong place. You need a guy who, who can show you that at least once. Yes, he, he had nowhere to go where that run was designed. It was completely muddied up by Wink. I noticed he did that a lot. Wink did that a lot in mm-hmm. this game where he just muddied up one side, almost like they knew where the run was going. And Drake saw that, and I don't know if it was Andrews or or, uh, or Oliver on the backside, but stuck with his block long enough for Drake to – and then Drake turned the corner, like you said. It was it was really, really nice. Got us uh, – yeah, I think that was down in Giants territory somewhere. But a really nice run by him. All right. In a broader sense, um, obviously lots of we, – we talked about the, the, the well-blocked runs for Drake here, but uh, the run game going in a larger sense is more than just Drake. It's it's really also Lamar, uh, obviously, and, and how he plays off that. Uh, great game, I thought, in terms of getting Lamar sprung. By the way, I didn't see a, 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 a split by scrambles for this game. It seemed like Lamar had a couple good scrambles in this game, not like five or anything, but maybe you know a couple at least. And I know he took a, a couple of big sacks, and but I didn't see any additional scramble yards up for this week. So I was a little surprised for that uh, when, when I looked at the PFR thing. The Pro Football Reference has a good number for scrambles, but they may put their numbers up late. Um, uh, in any case, what what's happening, how – what I saw in terms of the offensive line basically doing its job, there were some problems uh, with pulling not working out that we'll get into a little bit with the offensive line. That was a lot, I think, a function of the guys they have in the middle making it difficult. You know, some penetration there, like you mentioned, and uh, and that causing some some pulling issues. But uh, but generally speaking, I thought the offensive line did a pretty good job uh, with positional blocking uh, on the play side. Uh, so not necessarily getting getting into position on their poles every time, but but a fair amount of poles still, and uh, and they did just I thought of uh, you know a, a real good job in addition to the misdirectors from uh, the counters, the jet motion when they did that Drake out of sidecar, uh, giving Lamar good opportunities up the middle. Yes, and this is it seems to be a trend since uh, maybe the Buffalo game where it's gone from all Lamar are all our rushing numbers are deceiving because it's Lamar and his scrambles. Maybe he breaks off a design run. I mean, that, that game, the game we're talking about 8.8 yards per carry is what I had written down. It's what we averaged on the day. That's not all Lamar. Drake was flying. JK was held down a little bit, but, but man, um, it just seems like I want to use the word gel, Ken, like the offensive line seems to be getting a chemistry together together Ronnie stepped right back in I think I underestimated what he would bring to the running game and just being so focused on the steady pass protection that we've been longing for uh, at the left tackle position Ben Powers has played great we'll get into the guys individually but it just seems like a really really good rhythm uh really good rhythm uh, Ricard's mauling people uh you know he had bad mistakes in the game but he's been blocking his butt off all year like the Pat, Pat Ricard looks as good as he ever has in the run game, um, you know, when I'm when I'm watching it and on those pulls and those kickout blocks. So, man, it's just great to see, Ken, that Lamar doesn't have to carry the running game. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, Oliver has been, I think, a, a little bit of an underappreciated guy, and I'm sure we'll get to him later when we talk about individual players and whatnot. Uh, but but he's, I mean, he's earned his snaps. He's playing well. We saw him obviously having a couple diving attempts. One, I think he caught one of the two and and really good to catch a close ball like that and have the other team waste their challenge. That was sweet. Um, yeah. The first challenge got to tell you folks is super important. So you, you, you have to win that in the NFL or as soon as you lose it, you only have one more, you don't get a third, you lose a timeout. It's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's like basically the giants gave us about a two and a half to one proposition on that play by challenging it. They have to be right a very high percentage of the time. To, to make that a good gamble for, for the, whatever it was, six or eight yards on the, on the play. It wasn't a whole lot uh, to, to, to make that right. And the Giants fans were sure they had it. The ball did touch the ground. It was just under control though, the whole time. His left hand got one and kind of under that ball. I want to say totally under because you're right. It touched the ground. But I think the fact that he got his other hand kind of under it was, was, was the key there. Uh, if it would have been on top, it, that ball would have, moved around a lot when it hit the turf so yeah great catch and i like it two to two two and a half to one 
that, that, that about sums it up. I like that, Ken. Yeah. All right. Well, one of the big elephants in the room, obviously, in the play that lost the game for the Ravens this week, to, to my way of thinking, to, to obviously to John Harbaugh's way of thinking from the way he pointed it out in his interview, is that illegal formation penalty on third and one. So there was three minutes or so left in the game. If they get that first down, the Giants are going to have to burn all their timeouts. And frankly, the Ravens probably need only one more first down after that to secure the game. The play itself was run properly. Nice little seam. Actually, it looked like the Giants almost lined up wrong because Lamar had a very easy kind of a, a move left and dive for the first down situation. By the way, you have to, if you're if you're Lamar, you have to make that first down or you don't get a second chance on third and six. Even if you if you know it was illegal formation or you notice it at the snap, uh, that's that's not a gimme. You you got to get that yard <laughs> or uh, or the uh, uh, the Giants might let it might let it stick. Or if you fumble the ball, even worse. But uh, but anyway, the uh, uh, that that illegal formation penalty extraordinarily costly. The Ravens in a position where they could only afford to play three down football. And then, of course, the third and six disaster struck. Uh, Lamar uh, was intercepted off the fumbled snap. Uh, as as we go back to the illegal formation, though, the Ravens had options to mitigate that situation. And starting with they had three timeouts left. Their timeouts were meaningless to them at that point in the game. Yeah, they had some value. Maybe if they got into a redraw situation where they had to uh, allow the Giants to score a field goal or even score a touchdown and then re- and then and then return. But I thought at that point, without an inter- without an interception there, the chance of that was actually pretty low. And the, the the real value of the timeout there would have been to call it and reset yourself properly on that play. So the question is, what's missing from the Ravens' headset loop, guys? that they can't quality control that situation. Anything to say about that so far? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sorry for my silence. You know, uh, full disclosure, Ken and I talked about this as friends for just a brief moment before we came on, but I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's everything you said is said is correct. And I mean, uh, the only point that I brought up was, you know, Ricard himself, you know, I mean, man, I can, I don't even know. I'm, I really apologize. I'm struggling here, but how, how you don't see that. And obviously a timeout was well worth it. You're ahead. If you make it, it's just, you know, I guess the wind probability and everything else just shoots through the roof. So rock it up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, man, it's just, it's so frustrating. We've seen some, we've seen some of these over the last couple of years. It, it feels like Ken, um, you know, illegal formation, so-and-so wasn't covered up or so-and-so was covered up or he wasn't on the line. Mm-hmm. And um, this one was, uh, it precluded a, the most unfortunate of events uh, in this game, which was the ill-advised interception. Let me set the stage a little more on the on the illegal formation because I, I, I think there's more to be said here. And I think there might be a solution that the Ravens really need to consider putting in place. But the the ball was at the 44-yard line, I think. 41-yard line. Let me just make sure of this. What was it? The 44-yard line, third and one. Now, if you know the way the sidelines are laid out, there's an or- a, you know, a yellow outlined area where the teams are supposed to stay inside, and they never penalize you for going outside that as long as you're kind of behind the line. But they also don't want the head coach all the way down at the goal line if the play is there. You know, So you have the and – and his head coach can still run down there to call timeout if he needs to. But the point is that that yellow line – completely encompassed the area where you can get right behind that linesman if you need to look right down the line and make a quality control decision. Beyond that, you've got the quality control decision you can make from a TV camera, from any other kind of point of view you want to set up that you might have available to yourself in the booth uh, that, that you can you can look down that line of scrimmage. Here's Here's my thought on the matter. Obviously, they had a limited amount of time because they're running a fast play. They didn't want to go to the line of scrimmage, have a hard count, try and draw them off sides, none of that. This was all about the offensive lineman holding their water to get off a quick snap. Not only that, Lamar probably liked what he saw when he got to the line of scrimmage because there's a very clear you know, place for him to get two yards towards the left side over left guard, left tackle. So it was it, the stage was set. Lamar wanted to get the ball, snap the ball quickly. They had about five to seven seconds from the point Ricard set initially till the point the ball was snapped. 
Okay, so still a little bit of time. It included Wallace on the left side, who was off the line of scrimmage, not an X. He was he was untethered. He was in motion, um, and and he came he came to the left. Well, that left Ricard is the only guy on the left side, and he wasn't covering Stanley because he was a yard back. Okay, so right away, several people know that there's an illegal formation. One guy who probably knows is Ricard. He certainly should know. And he may think, shit, I can't move my feet right now or I'm going to get called for a uh, 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 false start. But he can still call timeout. He's on the field. He's not limited. And any player on the field can call timeout. They probably tell other players, don't do it. But if there's an important time for a timeout, you go ahead and freaking do it. Uh, and, and he was about to be penalized there. And I think if he'd, if he'd have done it there and it cost him a timeout, they'd have been pissed about that. But if they'd won the game because they made that third and one, that's a play they're happy with him for. And, and Ken, just to interrupt, uh, the, the point that I wanted to bring, really, the only thing I have to add other than, yes, there should be a, maybe another coach helping Arbaugh is, you know, you see all the time on TV, fans will be able to relate to this, where the receiver or, you know, or Ricard in this case, looks to the to the side line judge and holds up his hand in a way to say, hey, buddy, I'm on the line. Am I good? And I've played this, you know, I played receiver a little bit in high school yep. and I would do that. And if the guy, if the receiver, or excuse me, if the official told me I wasn't technically on the line or maybe I was lined up off sides, he would motion to me to either scoot yep. up or scoot back. I mean, it's just a common thing. If Ricard on this play had no idea that he needed to be on the line, totally, totally on Ricard, because like you said, Wallace was already off the line before he was in motion. If Ricard was acting as if there was a receiver on his side lined up on the line of scrimmage. He was clueless. But the bigger problem here is, you know, sometimes you're going to have players make mental mistakes like that. Um, to your point, Ken, you know, an assistant head coach or, uh, you know, just somebody else standing close to Harbaugh. Um, I mean, it was like you said, in the middle of the field. So it wasn't like they were down with the five yard line and you couldn't get a good angle. They were right there to see it. They're right there in the middle of the field. But let me let me go through because there's on-field remedies and there's off-field remedies. So let's start with the on-field remedy. So Ricard can can notice it himself. He can call timeout himself. The other guy who knew it right after the play was run is Mark Andrews because he immediately motioned over to Ricard and said, you know, you got to be up kind of thing. He was angry about the play. Well, Mark, call timeout yourself. You saw it was you saw it was illegal formation. Seriously, man, if you're on top of it like that. You be the illegal formation Nazi there, and you call timeout appropriately, and you save the Ravens the ball game. Uh, and and he, he clearly knew what was going on right away in terms of 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 laying the blame appropriately with his emotions after the play. Well, you know, it, Mark, you're part of the problem, or you're part of the solution, depending on how you want to think of it. You know, just call timeout before the play, and and that uh, that third and one, you know, the Ravens have a very good chance to convert it on a second try there. In fact, they might get two tries at it if you if they really had, uh, uh, you know, come up a half yard short again. So that's, those are the on-field solutions. Then you have the off-field solutions. And this is where we get into a big discussion with people on Twitter, because a lot of people say, well, isn't that Harbaugh's job? Absolutely freaking not is Harbaugh's job. The higher you are in the organization in terms of decision-making, the less specific responsibilities you need to have. So there needs to be someone with a specific responsibility to look at illegal formation penalties, call them out over the headset, and allow Harbaugh to call timeout. Harbaugh's the only one, has to go through him. He'll call timeout. He'll decide if the timeout is worth it, whether or not the third and one or third and six is the appropriate trial there. But in this case, I think there's no doubt he would have picked for gone for third and one, a, a, you know, a second try on this one. So if you're talking about off-field off-field things, it is not Harbaugh, it is not Roman. You know, if if seriously, who's doing Greg Roman's job if Roman has to worry about illegal formation penalties? You can have any number of position coaches do this. Uh you could have a I, the, the thing I really would value is a new coach coming on with an officiating background who understands from the referee's position, from the linesman's position in this case, how that game is going to be called that will say you know they're gonna they're gonna flag him for a, for an illegal formation penalty. We'll just say it over the headset immediately. Harbaugh can call the timeout immediately, and and you get it right. Same same thing with a twelve man on defense penalty. That might not in a lot of cases be worth calling a timeout for, but Harbaugh will have the option if he needs to. I was thinking the same thing. Twelve men on defense. I mean Harbaugh and Lamar usually have the if the play clock is run, winding down, they usually you know catch that. I would say that's you know close to. 90%, you know, we got away with one, ironically, in this game. But just to have somebody, 
standing next to the coach even or, you know, just to be able to have that kind of uh, eyes on it. I mean, I, I can't mm-hmm. disagree with anything else that you said, Ken. I know it was just a good chance to get it off your chest, buddy. I mean, but yeah, what else <laughs> What else do I have to add? There's really nothing to add. No debate. I mean, the, the, you know, hopefully this, bring, this brings about some organizational change. This is not a fire Harbaugh thing. This is not anything wrong with the coordinators. This is a put in an additional level of quality control. It, it costs hardly anything. I mean, whoever is doing this job, they're going to be a retired guy who's an official and you're bringing in to do this on the headset. They probably can help you in terms of the game, in terms of taking notes about certain linemen are, are tending to cheat downfield improperly. We need to talk about that. Uh, there you, you know, go. I'm looking I, I'm looking at the way, you know, so and so was holding on the end of the line. He's inside the jersey, you know, all, all the all the kind of inside and outside the frame judgments that have to be made. That 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 guy can help you in other ways, but if his only job was illegal formation, it'd probably be worth it in terms of what you're paying him for the year. No, I like that. If it's a former official, he can get inside the the official's mind and maybe point out specific little crooks, you know, uh, whatever nooks and crannies is what I meant mm-hmm. to say uh, of the rule book that maybe, hey, technically this guy is doing this wrong and that works to our advantage. You make make him fix that. Maybe you get a call. So. Yes, I I love the idea, Ken. It's just super frustrating. Yeah, Al, you can you can hear the frustration in my voice. Let's move on and talk about Lamar because he his performance wasn't frustrating at all in this one. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> let's I'll let you start on this. I've got some numbers obviously to present here, but but what what would you like to talk about in terms of Lamar's performance? Um, it was I thought that I, I, actually the first I want to say two drives. Uh, into the into the third drive, the long drive that was really sharp, um, you know, with the Kenyon Drake, it looks like the 30-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote untouched, Ken, which is funny. <laughs> we were talking about that. Um, but, yes, I thought that Lamar started off sharp. I think uh, they flashed his numbers up on the TV screen. It's like, okay. And I remember tweeting out, Lamar looks sharp. We're okay, you know. But, again, it's the same thing. When you don't capitalize early, and you have three great drives. I mean, the Ravens, I think, only punted twice before the turn, you know, before the turnovers um, at the end of the game. One of which, I guess, you know, the last one, I can't even really blame Lamar. It was a desperate situation, you know, the strip sack at the end. Um, but they, you know, really after that, I saw a lot of fadeaways. I saw some misses. Uh, I saw some uh, reverting back to not ideal um mechanics you know from my not expert eye I, just the fadeaway jumper ken is is the way i'd put it uh and and uh and really it just all comes down to that that interception at the end which was uh a, f- a function of something that is my main and really only criticism of lamar jackson as a quarterback i think it all comes back to he presses too much sometimes it's early in the game like that steelers game last year ken Sorry to go on a little bit here, Mm -hmm. but the pressing too much is something I really want to focus on because, you know, the Steelers game, we have a nice long drive. Lamar forces a ball into the end zone, trying to throw it to Andrews. And instead of three, the Steelers have the ball. We have nothing or the beginning of the Tennessee playoff game uh, with the forced throw to Boykin that turned into an interception that we could have just punted. This was another one of those examples of Lamar clearly in this situation to everybody's eye trying to do way too much and then it would have been an impossible play uh, to, uh, to complete um, and just punting to save, save the other day, Ken. So I know I went on a little bit with that one, but pressing to do too much, I think is something that I look at Lamar. He can make every throw. He can do this. He can do that. I'm a huge Lamar fan. I think he deserves his money, but he presses too darn much when he needs to relax a little bit. Was a you know the third and sixth play was it was fumble to start so then there's already a high tension race for the football there he picks it up he evades the 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 defender as best he can there really was nobody open but the 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 open was on the crossing route behind Ricard and I'm not sure who that even was might have been Demarcus Robinson uh, behind Ricard who would have had to move towards Ricard's side of the field. It's it would have been a very low percentage throw no matter what. So it it, it definitely really seemed like uh, an obvious throwaway situation. If I go back to earlier in the game though, uh, and and a lot of the things that frustrated me about Lamar, 
there's something Bruce Arians has a word for, and, and he had a couple of open receivers early where he missed them short. And this is something we saw a fair amount from Lamar of in, in 2019, a little bit less in 2020. But those years, even though Lamar was very good, occasionally he would come up and uh, short arm a ball to a wide open receiver directly in front of him, particularly on the move with his feet not set. So, uh, you know, you see that happen in this game again. And, you know, back to some old habits of not setting your feet and whatnot. It's not 100% him because Wink really manipulated him around the field, manipulated him into the role in this game, which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, definitely a situation where Lamar's got to put some mustard on the football on every single throw. He can't just, you know, kind of pick and choose. But you got to pass it. You can't hand it to him, as Arians would say. And and uh, and we saw some of that. Yeah, it was it was under there. Yes, that, especially the one to Duvernay in the uh, that could have been a touchdown was an example of that. It was just, you know, Duvernay, I think there was some uh, – Duvernay had to take an alternate route around Demarcus Robinson who bumped into somebody. So, basically, Duvernay had to go around them, and then uh, Lamar thought he was going to stay on the goal line, and Duvernay eventually got to where he was supposed to be, which was, you know, in the end zone, and um, Lamar short-armed it. But, yeah, I want to say mechanics, you know, some sloppiness early in that game. And uh, by no means in my Tom House or James Urban or whoever else Lamar yeah. works works for, but you can see it with his footwork sometimes. And uh, pressure doesn't help. You know, pressure pressure up the middle doesn't help. He's got that ability to throw from any angle, off balance. I mean, he can do all that great. It's just, um, you know, here or there, that's not a main issue with Lamar for me overall, but it definitely cost us points in that game. When he's, when he's on Ken, it's just – virtually unstoppable. And I think all quarterbacks have sloppy moments from time to time. You know, my main problem was, was the decision to throw that ball. I mean, if you just punt the ball, even if you, he couldn't evade the rush and just took a sack, it gives us a chance to win that game, a real chance instead of the giants having whatever it was, 14 yards to go to take the lead and nothing yeah. we could do about it. Yeah. That, that obviously that was very frustrating. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Wink did in terms of pressure. We got some numbers here uh, with ample time and space. Uh, Lamar had six opportunities, two of six completions for thirty-five yards. That's not acceptable. I mean, he's he's just got to get make better throws when he has ample time and space, obviously. And that was some of what we're seeing here: some off-target throws um, in in terms of uh, not being on. But uh, but in any case, you can still recover from that if you're Lamar Jackson normally against pressure. Now, go back to the Bengals game last week. Lamar did not have a good game against pressure. Uh, he got pressured a fair amount, and he did he did not play well against it. In this game, uh, weather was perfect for Lamar. This is, you know, we always hope for zero win games for Lamar where, the you know, there's no rain either. Those are the kind of games that Lamar should absolutely destroy other teams. You know, conditions are are optimal. It does, doesn't have to be a real wind-resistant player, which I don't think Lamar is as much as Joe Flacco was, for example, uh, with the kind of mustard he could put on a football, uh, particularly on you know on a on a on a short line. But uh, uh, Lamar's game just seems to be you know a wet field. Obviously, is not going to be good for Lamar the runner as much. Uh, I I think that that you know this is a, this is a day where I really would have expected his ATS opportunities to be very good. Anyway. Aside from that, 12 ball out, quick opportunities for 81 yards, 6.8 per throw, 16 pressured opportunities for 79 yards, 4.9 yards per throw. Of course, those pressures came with two turnovers and two sacks as well. So um, not what you want uh, from those numbers. And Wink very effectively used numbers. We'll get into that in a moment to, to, to provide some of this pressure. But the biggest frustration was the pressure was right up the middle. It really wasn't from the edge. Thibodeau did not have a huge day rushing rushing the passer. They had a little bit of blitz pressure up the middle, and they had a whole freaking ton of Dexter Lawrence uh, coming right up the middle. Yes, and, you know, I think Tyler Linderbaum has played above expectations for me coming right in. I mean, some of the blocks he makes are just amazing, and he's been consistent. You know, Ken Anchor in against a big guy like Quinn and Williams in week one. I have some highlights of on the channel. And all that thing, all that kind of thing, but Dexter Lawrence was a problem in this game. Yeah. Um, there, there's, there's, there's no two ways to put it. Uh, even like, see, you're pointing out the pressures, which is the perfect example of what I would say. Uh, 
was Litterbaum's issue. You know, sacks given up or quarterback hits wasn't there. But then again, you have Lamar Jackson uh, against a wink defense. He's ready for that. Um, it was just like Dexter Lawrence was able to shed uh, Linderbaum. He was able to, to, to just really disrupt things in the middle of that defense. And, um, you know, powers look good. Zeitler looked okay. I mean, the giants have a tough front overall. It really is, but it was uh Linderbaum. Yeah. Up the middle uh, kind of bothered Lamar more, way more times than we've seen uh, uh, than any game. I think this season, if you, we'll, we'll, you're charting, but yeah, we'll get into the offensive line grading actually in part two. So what people to make sure they, they download this, we're talking about a lot of the individual linemen and some of the things went right. Some went wrong, but we'll give you much more specific detail in part two. Uh, let's, let's stick with Lamar here for a moment because still taking a fair amount of time to throw just in this game. Didn't really make a whole lot of that time. Unfortunately, uh, he's still second among all the NFL's six game starters, uh, to Josh Fields with 3.02, uh, seconds per throw. Uh, Jones himself is at 3.01 by the way now. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the other New York quarterback, Zach Wilson is 3.04, 3.05, something like that. So he's, uh, He's leading the pack, but he doesn't have uh, doesn't have the every game uh, played so far. Uh, but I did want to I did want to have some some pressure by numbers as well. And Wink is still Wink. Twenty two out of thirty two times he rushed five or more in this game. So uh, Wink was actually down. I think in about the high thirties for last year for the Ravens. Uh, it was more conservative than he had been typically, but he really let the dogs loose versus Lamar. And uh, Lamar was approximately equally successful, whether it was four, five, or six, uh, in some terms. But the turnovers came on a five and a six, um, and that uh, that was those were really the devastating plays that ended it for the Ravens. We had 6.2 yards on twelve four man rushes, five point two on eleven five man rushes, and five point nine on eleven six man rushes. Eleven six man rushes. That's Wink Martindale for you. There you go, and you know. The, the more frustrating part for me is the uh, the ample time and space throws. You know, those are throws that you you, you want to make, you have to make. And, you know, Ken, it's a sensitive subject for Ravens fans, but we're, we're missing Bateman. We're missing a little separation. It's not something maybe that can be quantified. But uh, just overall, when I'm looking uh, at, at, at separation at the top of the route, say, I'm just not seeing as much. And Bateman's the one guy on offense I think is the best at it. Uh, you know, when you have time, you have to be able to make the most of it. And I think what's happening is Lamar is looking for at his first read being like, man, come on, come on, man, get open. And he, he just doesn't. It's slowing him to his second read. And then he looks there and there's confusion. And if he's not taking off, and I think he's more apt to stay in the pocket this year for whatever reason, don't want to speculate. But um, but yes, it just the, the passing offense has regressed from the rhythm that we saw, I believe the first three games to these last three games. And, you know, I don't want to say that I can't just write off the fact that not having Rashad Bateman out there doesn't have something to do with it. It absolutely has something to do with it. In my opinion, I, I don't, I don't know how you can take a player of that quality out of there. And, and Bateman for, you know, he's had a mildly disappointing year in terms of drops this year. He's, he's had a hard time hauling in the football. The guy's still averaging over 11 yards per per target, not per reception, per target. And no Raven has ever had that many yards per target in the season. So, you know, Bateman, for, for, for all the things that have like not been quite right about this season, there's been a whole hell of a lot right, you know, obviously starting with that 75-yard play. There you go. So not making it easy on Lamar is what I'm saying. And, and, you know, it goes back to my original point of pressing too much. Sometimes Lamar, I think just needs to let the game come to him a little bit more instead of, of trying to, and it's a double-edged sword because we saw how much this team Lamar Jackson is 87% of the team's offense at one point, whatever the yeah. numbers were, you know, him carrying the load and then coming off a whole year of that last year, Ken, where he was basically the entire offense, um, and I, so it's a double-edged sword. I can't just say, man, Lamar, you know, why are you trying to do too much? Well, he has to do too much at times to get the Ravens in position to win. But um, this is why I'm encouraged overall by the running game, Ken. The running back production, I think, is going to take a lot of pressure off Lamar and allow him to, to get better as this uh, season goes on and get back into the groove and be the Lamar we know. 
I mean, just look at where the Ravens running backs were after the first couple of weeks of the seasons. They were, they actually had the two worst DeVoa running backs in the entire NFL in Drake and Davis. And they were sitting there with, you know, minus 40 roughly yards each of uh, expect, expected yards, minus 40 expected yards each. And now the Ravens lead the entire NFL in yards per carry by a half yard again. And, Drake is fine. He's, he's back to 5.9 yards per play. Davis is not fine. Uh, uh, Dobbins is, we, we haven't seen him uh, really show up yet, but Hill, you know, contributed very well when he was in there and, and, and is the speed threat they need. So Dobbins is the one guy right now I'm concerned about a little bit in terms of the run game. It's, it, you know, to me, I wouldn't say concerned because of what we saw from Justice Hill and now Drake. Uh, and, and I did see when when JK came back in, it was just like I said earlier, a rhythm, a timing, a feel for it. Um, you know, turning a one yard loss into a three yard gain, that kind of thing. We've we've seen that with JK. He's still got the moves, he could still spin off of contact, he's still got the rhythm. So I, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm concerned about JK. Maybe we split on that, but having Justice Hill show up and look like a different back. Man, I mean, if you know, it's a hamstring strain. So as long as he takes his time with it, he should be right back to where he was. It's not a major injury from a long-term standpoint. Get that thing right and come back. You will have the same Justice Hill as we saw. Did, did you hear? You're talking about Hill now. Did you hear anything additionally about uh, Dobbins in terms of his injury on Sunday? No, just that it tightened up. That's all we got from the coaching staff because I was a little bit concerned when he didn't come back in the game. And, um, you know, I was hoping that it was, well, this turf is bad. And, you know, I, I, I actually tweeted out, I'm hoping that J.K. Dobbins is upset after the game that he wasn't given the chance to go back in. Mm-hmm. But I didn't quite get that uh, response, but it was more like it tightened up uh, during the game in that one, that hard turf. So, um, you know, yeah. I was a little concerned about Ronnie from that aspect, too. But Drake was hot, too, Ken. It's the only other thing I was going to say. It was no reason to really – uh, you weren't pressed to put J.K. back in. Yeah, J.K. was standing there on the sidelines with his helmet the whole time. And I think they honestly had made a decision not only in terms of of him, but in terms of some other players who are a little bit injured to either not play them or not have them uh, out there for many snaps in this game. And Ronnie was one. I mean, they looked like they were headed for about a 70% snap count, maybe if I was guessing by, by the point, the fact that McCary – uh, replaced him on the third drive. Uh, yes. It really, it really looked like maybe they'd give, go about 70% Ronnie in this game, but I don't think they wanted that. That field is a mess. Ravens slip on it all the time. Uh, they had plays in this game with multiple slips. Uh, one notable pass early on that was on the left side, might've been Demarcus Robinson, might've been somebody else, but he slipped and the, and the defensive back slipped on the same play. <laughs> and then they both got up and they, you know, they went ahead and played the play out, but uh, just it's that field. Drake is the only one who seems to understand the, the proper cleats to wear. <laughs> and the Giants defensive line and our offensive line did well, but you know, I could go off. This could be a whole separate show, Ken, on that mm-hmm. field, because just because it's so frustrating. You have two teams with New York in their title that play on this field. Uh, you know what? Half a billion dollars in salary almost between the two teams. I mean, I'm not to get uh, exact with the math guy over here, but, I mean, it's just so much you're investing into the players. And I know they have events there year-round. I know this and that. But when you get down to the mathematics of it as far as what you're investing on it, having two teams worth of, you know, to be able to cover that, um, you know, if they have to put an all-night crew to put on a better sod and to get it off after the game, I mean, why not? Because not only is it hard, Ken, that we've seen, um, you know, players just, you know, tear their ACL, not even really cutting on it. Uh, like Sterling Shepard, he was just basically running. Not only is it hard, people are slipping. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you, you, I, I, yeah, so to- totally separate show, but very frustrating. Okay, we're going to we're going to break it here. The second show, we, we, we always talk early and, and try and go a little shorter. It ain't happening again tonight. But Really appreciate having you on again, my friend. You're always a, always a pleasure to talk to. Jason, tell folks where they can find your your YouTube stuff uh, and also your Twitter handle. Yes, uh, Huddle It Up Films is my Twitter handle, at Huddle It Up Films. And it's the same for YouTube, Huddle It Up Films. I would ask that anybody that enjoys the commentary, I, I have a, a Wednesday show with two great co-hosts. 
uh, you know, uh, that we do, we go on live Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. So maybe you're listening to this on a Wednesday. Come on over to YouTube, and I would love to hear the comments. We have a good time, but we have a high-level analysis, too. So it's nice and relaxed. We we usually go on for about two hours, and uh, so we're not pressed for time. But at the same fa- uh, by the same token, we have great information on there. Um, great co-host with Garnett West, Sergeant, and Ashley Priyanka. And we usually have a guest on there, so it's uh, you know, to preview the next game. So great time. Please come on over, check out all the film cut-ups I have over there too, Ken. And thank you. Very, very cool. And uh, and definitely would recommend them. Garnett, a very passionate dude and uh, somebody who, who was a lot of fun to talk football with, a lot of fun just in general to get together with, but, but, uh, but, a, but a good guy. I don't really know Ashley all that well, but from your descriptions of her and whatnot, and a little bit I've heard on the, on the channel, I, I, I understand why you appreciate her as well. Very passionate individual there too. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. We'll be back with part two of this show after a couple minute bio break for a man my age that's necessary. Uh, Jason will get there soon enough so he <laughs> understands what's coming in life. Folks, we'll see you in a few minutes and talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.